Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City. An apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm good, pal. How are you? Doing well. Doing very well. Beautiful week so far. Another international week. Love these weeks, J.J. The season... Normally, I feel like there's a little bit more of a buffer. Yeah. What are you talking about? You love them. I love them. Oh, this this week has not. I have not loved. Like, why? It's 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 complete drudge. I'm feeling uh, like I needed a break, like from all football after after the Premier League finished, like just a little bit of a gap. And I can only imagine what the players are feeling. If I'm feeling this way, like some teams are going to play four games. In the in the next in in like a ten day period. You're right. Here's like the one it's difference. Absurd. Here's here's the one difference though. And look, comparing yourself a fan to these players is is laughable in its own right. However, I wasn't a little bit. But here's here's the main. I wasn't. Difference. But go on. You as a fan of Liverpool Football Club have been put through the absolute ringer over the last four weeks. A lot of these players who are returning to their national teams were on teams whose seasons kind of petered out. So like, no, I'm not saying they weren't trying or not or weren't going hard. Yeah, tell that to Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> well, I'm not again. Some of them, not all of them, mm. but a lot of these players' seasons just kind of ended normally. You are you are in a Liverpool frame of mind. No, that, and well, you that's, have been through no, FA Cups and Premier League chases and Champions League finals totally... and chaos in the no. streets over just no, no, the no, last no, no, three no. weeks. No, that's not even that's not actually true. I, I'm sure it's I I'm sure. It. I'm sure it's part of it. No, no, you just say things on this podcast and they're taken as gospel by everyone, more of which anon. And oh. like, it's, am- it's amazing. What you say is like solidified in like stone tablets. And that is, oh. that is, that is law going forward. If you, if you give me a chance to say, one of the things that really has me like fatigued and tired was sitting down to watch Ireland versus Armenia in the Nations League on Saturday. And, you know, going into it with a sense of optimism and to watch the performance and get beaten one nil, you're like, OK, I've just caught me off. And on, on Sunday, I had the opportunity to play myself, go out in the evening sunshine on Sunday evening and play and not watch the US Uruguay, like record it and watch it later, which I did. And I was so glad I didn't say, well, you know, I should watch this game. And so I don't have to watch it later. No, no. I was so glad I did that. I you. I think it was Bob Duggan um, tweeted us and he said, do you guys not just get sick of this? I know you love the game, but after a while, do you not get sick of it? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's absolutely freaking relentless. I saw that tweet. I wanted to to respond to that also. He's not Um, wrong. He's not wrong. What's interesting, though, is I don't think like that has definitely happened to me, but I don't think it's ever happened to you and I at the same time. Like, I don't know that like right now, Here's what I think you're underestimating in me, my obsession with this current U.S. men's national team. No, I'm not. Like you would. I wish that I could form a petition and insert them into the Premier League and compete, and I want to watch them weekly. That's even when I even when I hate them and I'm mad at them, I still love them and want to watch them all the time. I but there but there have a thousand percent been moments where I said I need a break. There were moments during the Mourinho era where I needed a break from the sport. It, was, it all had become too much. But I'm not there right now. I'm not there but, right now. But I do think that international, like on a more global sense, like a, like or a view from 
an overview international football and just football in general just it's asking us to care about so much right now and while the nations league i think has been something of a success more of a success than just meaningless friendlies definitely more than that like there is a point where you're like all right, we're playing the Nations League. We've got a World Cup in November. What are these Nations League games for? All right, they're for the following European Championships. That's when they'll affect them. How will they affect them? Not entirely sure. We're going to have qualifying for that. Yeah, that's right. So if I qualify automatically for that, I don't need to worry about it. Correct. But if you don't, well, there's a chance you get in. How? Not sure, but it's there and it'll happen. And suddenly there'll be a fixture list and you'll have more games, more games till the end of time. Have you hit some kind of breaking point? Are you okay? You want to you sip this one out? I'll just go, baby. I snapped the events in Yerevan at the weekend. Just all. And we've got Ukraine on Wednesday night. Have no idea how that's going to go. No clue. Could get spanked. Could put in a great performance that gives me more hope that leads us on further into more. I don't know. Don't worry, JJ. We're only a few years away from a 48-team World Cup. Then you can come join. No, I will be, I don't know. I'll be on an island somewhere when that happens. I don't, I don't think I'll make it. Lies. What an absolute lie. The lies you tell with a straight face. No, no. And you've got to stop saying that the stuff I say in the podcast is lies. You have to. Like, it's ridiculous. Sometimes I'm actually giving my opinion. It doesn't need the filter of Andrew Gundling before it gets to the masses. But you are going to watch the World Cup with 48 teams. Yeah, but what state will I be in? What condition? So, so you lied. I'll be in a mess. Oh, all right. Let's let's do what we're here for. And that is not to bicker about lies and truths. It is to talk about the U.S. men's national team and some other things. But we're going to go through uh, sort of our, our thoughts after these last couple friendlies on things we saw, things we liked, things we didn't like, positions that seem up for grabs, Um Fan bases not caring to the extent that certain players wish they would, you know, all those all those kinds of things. Talk a little bit about the the U.S.'s group now being officialized with Wales officialized mm -hmm, with Wales joining the fray. Uh, and then I have a couple of things, JJ, at the end of the pod that I don't even think I included on the original rundown, like the uh, something that I saw late in the game here that it looks like the the end is nigh for Ted Lasso. Um, pausing. I mean, JJ that, react. that actually, no, no, no. I, I, that will come up later as well okay. in, in some of my, uh, some of my talking points. Oh, you, what have you prepared? Some kind of statement? No, we, we're not doing a mailbag, but with it, it's kind of a mailbag at the end. It's just okay. a very, very brief, uh, I call them talking points. <laughs> no. Yeah. Lasso done after uh, three seasons, which I think was announced anyway. I think that was always the case, right? Oh, really? I have no idea. Yeah, I Grant assumed Wal- it was going to go on forever and yeah, that Grant AFC Wal- Richmond was going to become a real team. Oh, you'd love that too. Relax. Grant Wal- I like the show. All right. I'm not like, you know, that's some- okay. I'm fine with people liking it, but Grant Wall said that um, uh, it was always just going to be three. I so so I think Variety uh, tweeted out Ted Lasso to finish after this next season. And, uh, and he goes, this isn't news. So it was to me. But I don't read very much, so that's understandable. All right, let's talk about these games. Just the quick over, like looking at it from overhead of, of the last two games, Morocco and Uruguay, and then we'll go through the more of the specifics. Morocco, first off, I thought it was a really good performance. Um, there were elements of it that you know 
we know what Bearhalter ball is supposed to look like. And I thought you saw you saw sort of the peak version of that at times. I thought the press was really effective. Um, the first goal that the U.S. scored was it was perfect on all fronts. The pass from Zimmerman, the touch, oh, the touch from Pulisic, and then the run from Aronson. I mean, that's just like the kind of goal that on a on a play like that you can't really draw it up any better. Um, and I thought the uh, the penalty called on Joe Scally was not a penalty, but justice was served the old-fashioned way, JJ. To quote Rashid Wallace, ball don't lie, except he screamed it loud enough to get a technical foul after he had yelled, ball don't lie. Um, um, and, and in a World Cup, that probably would not have been a penalty because VAR would have overturned it. So, And it would have probably been a yellow card on Morocco. Yeah, I, I thought the Moroccan performance was good. Uh, obviously, I say good. Like after an hour with the substitutions that are made, you start to see the, the game as a whole kind of dissipate and fall apart a little bit. But like the first half hour, first half from the U.S., I thought was really, really good. Front foot pressing in the right areas, like you said. You could see the quality of Morocco, who I don't think they played with the same intensity as the United States. But even still, there were moments in the first half where they, they cut the U.S. open, going just which just shows their quality. Um but I, I thought when we got tight to them in midfield, didn't let them settle on the ball. We looked, we looked the better team. We created the better chances. I thought it was as far as friendlies go at the end of the season. I thought it was a, a really good performance. And, and um, look, there, there's elements of it where you're watching Tim Weah pick the ball up uh, on the second goal in a pocket of space. And you're like, oh, that's a good position to take up. But someone's going to get to him. Someone's going to cl- like there wasn't anyone within ten yards of it. You're talking about the goal that he scored. Yeah, and he's allowed. Also, blast. what was the goalkeeper doing? I have no idea what the keeper was at, but but still, it was a good hit. He got it on target. That's but but the point being that you know if this was a obviously a, you know a game of of higher stakes, you wouldn't expect Weah to have that amount of space in that pocket. But the position he took up was good. Generally, I thought the US were bright. They were vibrant. Um, I thought they played well in the first half. Everything. After an hour mark in these friendlies, it's, it's tough to quantify what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was good. And, and Morocco, on occasion, showed why um, technically they're, they're, they're a pretty good side. Uh, Uruguay, I'm not going to go too deep now because we've got some, some things that we'll go through in more specific terms. But um, overall, I would say, you know, let's call it like it is. Uh, the U.S. were probably fortunate to have gotten out of this one with a draw. Uh, Varela was a problem down the right side for the U.S. Sean Johnson made his best save as a member of the national team. It was spectacular. I almost don't know how he did it. Uh, Edison Cavani missed an absolute sitter to win it. Um, now, having said all that, I mean, th- those those prime chances in this game all went Uruguay's way. But I do want to point out one thing. Like, it's fair to say the U.S. were fortunate to grab a point, but it wasn't necessarily all bad. Like there were lengthy spells where the U.S. controlled possession, and it wasn't, no. and it wasn't just meaningless possession. Like they had some bite to it, just without final product, which is a, a shortcoming that unfortunately we're going to talk more about. That we we just know that that's right now, it's kind of part of the DNA of this team. We're aware of that. Um, you know the overlap, Musa to Yedlin, who fired in that ball to Ferreira, who missed the header. It was good build up. Uh, Musa reversing play to Wea, who fired one across the face of goal. Ferreira just barely late to it. Had he touched it, would have been an easy tap in goal. Zimmerman finding Adams, who found Pulisic, who found Ferreira, but his shot was stopped by Muslera. So, you know, there were there was nice build up from the U.S., but again, it's that end product that they're just they just haven't quite figured that out consistently. 
Yeah, and I think the wide players struggled as well. I know we're going to get to Joe Scally. I, I didn't think Yedlin's ball to Ferrer was actually that good. I think on the header, I'd have to see it again. I felt like it was behind him a bit. Yeah. If he drills that along the ground, maybe it's a better cross. Maybe if, if he tries to put it along the ground, he doesn't have the angle. I don't know, but I think it could be better. And we could be talking about a two-goal haul for, uh, for Ferreira, and then we'd be talking maybe differently about that striker position. Again, I know yeah. we're going to get to that. Imagine. If he had put yeah. two past Uruguay, what would be saying today? Yeah. So I don't want, I don't want to, um, I don't want to jump on stuff we're going to talk about a little bit later. I was, um, I was reading Joseph Lowry's uh, backheeled.com, his match kind of match report afterwards, where he talked a little bit of tactics and something he highlighted, which was, was interesting that in possession against Uruguay and, and against Morocco at times, we have this, we, we go from the four, three, three, to the four two two two, and what happens in that is that Yunus Musa, who I think, if you're looking across the Uruguay game in particular, was one of the more outstanding performers. Musa mm-hmm. drops in alongside Adams and helps Adams out in that kind of deeper lying midfield role. And why is that good? Well, one thing about Musa is that he can take players on and beat them. And from the frustrating amount of international football I've watched this week, if you have a midfielder Andrew that can get it past one midfielder and take him out of the game and watch the way things open up. That is such a huge thing. Now I'm not criticizing Tyler Adams skills, but I don't think that's a huge part of his game, his ability to take someone on one V one. It takes the distribution and the, not the tempo setting. Well, actually, yeah, the speed of play and tempo setting, it takes a lot of that responsibility off Adams onto Musa and uh, Musa can go then and, and attack. And it's something you see a lot. I wish I had a center mid who could just, Go past a guy. And once you've beaten that first, sometimes that we'll call it first block, that first person, the game opens up and you can play one twos and do all those sorts of things. Uh, now, uh, Joseph does point out that there's there's moments when certainly Musa can give the ball a little bit quicker and, and maybe not hang on to it so long. But that is that is something that's emerging here. And the importance of that in the tournament will be um, will hopefully be uh, be very clear. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I actually have I have his piece right in front of me. I was reading it too um, before we started recording. And he talks about that by setting up deeper in the midfield, Musa, who's supremely comfortable under pressure, took a lot of the responsibility in possession off of Adam's shoulders. And I think that is important to have two guys who are capable of doing that. And they're they're different players. Um, but you know, you but talk you see, about once upon a I feel like once upon a time in the midfield, Andrew, it was Maybe even going back 10, 12 years, a little bit more than that, you had the you had the kind of the wily, I'm just going to use like Pirlo, just just for 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 the sake of it. Are you at a, a midfielder of his ilk? And he would get on the ball and threading passes and through balls and balls down the line and clever passes was the whole thing. And when you have a midfielder that can drive in possession, um, it's always been good. Like, and I'm not talking about someone getting onto the end of things. I mean initiating a a uh initiating an attack from a from a deeper role open up the game beat someone and his comfortability on the ball is i mean it's something we've probably been crying out for for a long time in that u.s midfield oh i mean what he did in the second minute against uruguay right in front of his own goalkeeper yeah it was really it's one of the ultimate no 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 oh yes move i mean you don't want him doing that all the time but um equally you can see the skill and the ability he has and I don't think we've had a midfielder like that probably ever. <laughs> I'd have to go back through the archives and, <laughs> and really think on that. 
Um, let's go to something else that we were kind of dancing around the end product issue, which is ties directly into the, uh, the striker position, the number nine position and the seeming, I guess, seemingly the inability of anyone to really grab a hold of it. I mean, the number of guys who have essentially had these on the job tryouts, uh, in front of all of us that have done just well enough to kind of like tantalize us a little bit and then fade away just enough for us to be like, nah, I don't know that it's him. And I just wonder in looking at it, you know, that was kind of the weekend for Jesus Ferreira. There were moments where he was, he was certainly involved, had a few opportunities, but it was a lot of like, what, what was it, JJ? You were just reading a tweet a few weeks ago that some journalists wrote about Pulisic said he's like a, a nearly man. Yeah, and I took umbrage player. with that, but, but that is, but that's sort of how I felt about Ferreira over these last couple of games. Like he's, he's nearly there. He like positionally, he's close to the spots where he would want him to be. Like he's, he is getting opportunities, but like the same things that we said a year ago about Josh Sargent, when he was getting the bulk of the chances, eventually, if you're going to play that position, you got to score goals. Like this isn't, this isn't, you know, you're not getting awards out to the, the guy with the most almosts. Well, I mean, we had Ricardo Pepe in there doing a job and then his club form faded away as did his international form somewhat. So you're right. We've, we've had more than one nearly man, Andrew. I still think Greg Berhalter's preference will be for the more nimble, more central attacker who will complement the other two that are around him. That's not likely to be Hadji Wright, despite his cameo uh, goal versus Morocco, the penalty. I, I, I couldn't believe how tall Hadji Wright was and how he looked on the ball. And I, I mean, I'm not having a go, but I, I guess I hadn't watched very much of him. I definitely don't think um, Hadji Wright is going to be that guy. I still have an inkling it's going to be Ferreira, but it could also be Tim Weah down the center. Um, again, I said about <laughs> Ferreira had scored one of those goals against Uruguay. Maybe this conversation would be going in a different direction. But we also, as a, as a fan base and um, as people who watch the game, probably should start thinking of this as more of a multiple threat attack rather than some out and out striker setup number nine mm-hmm. back to goal. <laughs> like because does, we does are Bearhalter of... just need to like kidnap Pep and bring him to a cabin in the woods for a weekend and be like, all right, explain everything to me about how you've done this so well without a true striker. But yeah, but I think we're doing it pretty well right now without a true striker. Um, I, I our, some of. of our finishing across world cup qualifying could have been cleaner, but at the same time, I, I, th- I think we need to, think of it as an interchangeable attack in three up front and not in the more traditional striker sense. That's the way I feel about it anyway. So, and and I I still think Ferreira is, is, is very much in the picture when I look at all the other options. I think so too. Here's what I've kind of landed on. And again, it's June. We're months away. Think of how much JJ, like what are, so the world cup is, if it's in November and we're in June, we got, like five and a half months until the world cup starts. Yeah. And think don't of, forget think five and a half months ago, we were like, Oh, it's Ricardo Pepe. And five and a half months before that it was, Oh, it's Josh Sargent or Daryl DK. Like, so five and a half months from now, who the hell knows? So to me, one of two things are, are going to be what happens because I don't think between now and then there's going to be this burst of light where it becomes so crystal clear that it's a specific guy. So either option a happens where it's sort of man of the moment stuff. 
like right now, Ferreira got these chances for the U S because he's been in really good form in MLS. So Bearhalter is just going to pick whoever happens to be in great form. Maybe, I mean, look, I've been banging the Jordan Peefock drum for a while. He just won the golden boot in the Swiss league. Mm. If he, if he starts the season off right where he left off, maybe it'll be, maybe he'll be the informed man who knows. Like, I, so it could just be somebody that we can't predict right now because it'll just be in that moment. Or it could be option B, which is what you were just hinting at and what I wanted to talk a little bit more about. And that is the U.S. seems to have a, a surplus of these attack-minded players around that number nine spot, but they don't have mm. that number nine spot. Can they just shoehorn a lineup that maybe doesn't have that true striker, but that is good enough? Like you just mentioned Tim Weah. You know, another name, I think we have to talk about Gio Reyna. Because, like, I look at this right now, and I know how good he is and, and how great a player I think he could be. But it's hard to look at the lineup and see a clear opening for him to find his way into it. And that's hard for me to fathom. And so I'm just let me let me just go through this with you right now. And we'll on the fly, we'll try to figure this out if we can come up with a formula that, that works to get all of these talented players into uh, it. Ah no. But no, we must. It's no. important. So goalkeeper, You've been we don't know. Of a formula. That's goalkeeper, we don't here. know yet. We'll get to that later. Defense, I think it's Robinson. Uh, Anthony Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, don't know the center back next to him. We'll get to that. And Serginio Dest. Midfield, I think Musa Adams McKinney. It's hard for me to, to see any other than that. I know some people are – I've seen some stuff about McKinney, people raising questions, but I'm not there yet. I think he's – no, that, that's – he's a lockdown for me. And then up front, Pulisic, don't know in the middle, and Tim Weah. So there's three don't knows in that 11. Mm. Reyna obviously isn't playing goalkeeper, and he's not playing center back. Um where else can he go? What else can they do? And the other I mean, thing you is, change, like, you can, can he jump Brendan Aronson? No. Right no. now, no. So, like, how is this all going to work? Well, what do you mean? I, I'm not even sure that your squad is going to be the squad that's picked. I could, I could see Aronson starting. Over who? Over Weah. Or I Aronson mean, starting with Weah. Weah is certain. Okay, with Weah is another question. You talked about moving Weah having a front three of Pulisic, Weah, and Aronson. Yeah, you could do that. We could do that, certainly. Right. It's, it's just strange to me. This, this was from um, – I saw this from Stan, uh, Sam Steschall of The Athletic. He said, at a certain point, Bearhalter might begin to wonder about making a change at the position as well, with reference to the number nine. He's tried Ferreira, Wright, Pepe, P. Fox, Sargent, and Zardis up top since last September, all with middling to poor effect. If the U.S. continues to get such little production from their out-and-out striker options – Maybe Bearhalter would eventually consider shifting Wea, who has been excellent on the wing this window, but has experience as a number nine or Reyna into the role. I would not be putting Gio Reyna in there. Um, you could see Wea there, but Wea has caused trouble for teams, notably in qualifying from a wide position. So do you want to take that out? You could put, Ar I mean, Aronson can do that. I just think we need to get our heads around the fact that we're not going to probably have this central striker with 15 goals in a in a league no. season coming into the team i think that front three is going to be much more fluid if we play centrally okay i'm all right with that it's, it's the pro it's the real problem it won't for be Rana, though Rana down the start makes no sense to me it's the problem for for triple g because like i hate to put it like this because this is going to sound really harsh but when when you don't have that out and out striker and you kind of have what the u.s has right now Again, this is too harsh, but I don't know what another way to say it. It's kind of like for him, there's only bad options. So like whatever one he chooses, 
it's going to be criticized to death, no matter what. Oh, that's not Brendan Aronson's natural position. Why are you going to play him there? You're wasting him where he could be more effective. If they try Weah there, oh, he was great on the right. You're taking him out of what he does best. Now you're weakening two positions to try to strengthen one. It didn't work. Like, wh- what can he do? That's when why you don't I, have that when you don't have that that sure thing. I honestly think it's he's going to be very very uh, flexible with this. I think you know I I think we're going to go into the first game wondering who's going to start at striker. I'm convinced of that, and I think. Because there's there's really there really isn't the games to to solidify that position left with no. any certainty. No, so what is it? I, They've got two Nations League games coming up uh, in the next week and a half, and then two games that aren't on the schedule yet in September that will be the final two. And there's no real tune-up after that. No, so so I think I think he's gonna he's gonna play this one by air. He's gonna. I, my, my personal opinion, though, going back to Reina, Andrew, is that, and you, you, you have to make this clear because I, I, I saw Alexi Lalas got called, and uh, some expletive idiot for not for not seeing a place for Gio Reina right now. And I, Gio Reina is a fantastic player. He'll be in a deeper lying midfield role, though. I don't see him being a central, you know, attacker in that in that mm-hmm. sense. I mean, he'll be initiating things rather than being necessarily on the end of them. So, I mean, that's that's and and that problem is that um, we can't be guaranteed like fitness. I don't know. How is he going to be? We assume he's going to start the Bundesliga campaign fit and healthy. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to have if we're going to have this conversation, you have to do so assuming right now that guys are healthy. Now, I've been the doomsdayer on this podcast who have guaranteed all of you that we're already without Miles Robinson. I have already said <laughs> there will be others. There will be others. And that's unfortunate, but and that's going to be the case for every team. Um, but like for someone to call Alexi Lalas a, a bleeping idiot for that opinion, like you can you can love Gio Reyna like we do and believe that like it's it's hard to fathom not finding a place, but like there's there's not a natural guy that you easily take out for him right now there just there just isn't it's not it's not as clear cut than that maybe people have him on on a level where you take out anyone for him but it's hard to say that i don't i don't see it right now um but that doesn't that doesn't mean anything as we as we sit here in june so that is a two that's a to be decided kind of thing it's it's something that's up in the air if it's definitely he's a talented player we don't have many ball playing players like him um, with his ability to do the things that he can do, not we don't have many players playing at the level he plays at. But um, so far in the development of an idea of what our team will look like when we play Wales in that first game in the World Cup, he's not a part of that eleven as we sit here right now. Let's go from the front to the back. The center back pairing obviously is what. Uh one of the other areas that everybody has a keen eye on every time this team takes the field. Now that miles Robinson is out with the torn Achilles um, Walker Zimmerman. I'm good with him. You know? Yeah. There were a couple moments. Um, he had one giveaway against Uruguay, which put the U S in a precarious spot, but Darwin Nunez fluffed the pass and got it all wrong. Um, but other than that, I thought Zimmerman was pretty good. I think he's really developed into an excellent passer. I mean, it gives me these like, these these visions, JJ, of what that U.S. back two could look like if John Brooks could ever get back in the good graces of Bearhalter to have two guys who can pass the ball the way Zimmerman and Brooks can, um, it would it would pose a real threat. Now you got to have two guys who who are really top notch defenders as well, 
And Zimmerman, I think he's done the job. I don't have much to say about him. The question is, is the, the spot next to him. And Aaron Long got the start in both games, yeah. which, which has to tell you something. It, it, well, I, it, tell, it has to tell you that it's his to lose right now. Well, I don't. Unless Chris Richards. Chris Richards is the variable. Right. Well, I mean, Cameron Carter Vickers as well. I, it's going to be interesting to see what Bearhalter does on Friday night. I would have loved to have seen him give a start to Aaron Long and a start to Cameron Carter Vickers alongside Zimmerman. Do you know, like, instead of starting Long in both games, because really, you know yourself in a friendly, you, you want you, the first 30, 45, 50, maybe, maybe we'll stretch it to an hour. Those are the minutes where you, you kind of see things. And after that, it can get a bit frayed at the edges. So I would have loved to have seen Cameron Carter Vickers in there. It's Zimmerman plus someone. I will certainly agree with that. So um, the reason I say that it's, it's longs to lose. And again, Richards, I think it, had he, I think it could have been him in these games too, but I think that we're, we're looking at a position in center back where, you know, remember JJ, what we always used to criticize Jurgen Klinsmann about. It seemed like there was this rotating door. They could never develop chemistry. Um, I think Bearhalter right now is going to go, he's going to find someone and he's going to go all in on that guy to make sure in these limited, like we said, limited opportunities, not many games. He wants those guys, if no one else on the team, those two to have chemistry. And so mm. when you see Long getting that start in two games in a row, I think it tells yeah. you Bearhalter's trying to build something there with those two. Yeah, you might be right. Um, I mean, it's going to send some people into absolute conniptions to have two MLS starting center backs for the U.S. men's national team. That's what it was going to be. You've, when you have a potential Scottish player of the year uh, sitting on the bench, I and another center back that plays or possible center back that plays in the Bundesliga. I, I have come out of this window. I'm not sure. You're, you're going with the evidence that he started long, so he really wants to, to bed that in. The time constraints is a good point that you make. He kind of needs to just make a decision and go with it. Um, personally, I don't know. I really don't know. I, th- I think right now the I think right now the variable is is Richards. I think it could be him, but I think Bearhalter does value guys who are playing regularly, and so you'll have to weigh if Richards is playing on a rotational basis in the Bundesliga or Aaron Long just came off playing an entire season as the, as the guy um, playing every game, you know, he'll have to weigh those things um, and make a decision. But right now I feel like, I feel like those two have a leg up and you know, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see Cameron Carter Vickers more in these next two nations league games coming up from the U S how much you're going to be able to take away from that against that kind of opposition, Grenada not and El thing. Salvador, probably not a ton. Um, but if he's great, He'll certainly force his name into the conversation. We'll see. But right now, I feel like Long and Richards are the two that people are going to have to start to key in on. I feel like that's Bearhalter. Is, he's sending you a message. Okay. Um, goalkeeper. Uh, this seems this is the this is the weirdest one for me, um, yeah. Andrew, because we're talking about it in June. So, and I know a lot of these positions. Well, it's all, you know, we, we'll see what happens with the passage of time, and goalkeeper is one of those, but. So just going on, I'll start off with the first two games. Like if you if you look at the performances, the goalkeepers, Turner against Morocco, Johnson against Uruguay, you don't have any problems at goalkeeper. That's what you're looking. Both kept clean sheets. Yeah, um, they were good. Johnson, I mean, Turner had more to do. Um, 
but I feel like you know Johnson came up with a big stop against Uruguay that that save on the line that you'd mentioned before when they really should have scored but like the issue isn't end of season friendlies and CONCACAF Nations League appearances the issue is what happens when it's the middle of October and the de facto numbers one two and three and three <laughs> have only played a handful of minutes of football for their clubs maybe in the Carabao Club uh, Carabao Cup um, and just the fact that Sean Johnson is a regular suddenly thrust them into an advantageous position in terms of the roster. Like, does one of those three yeah. lose out because Sean Johnson's playing all the time? I find that element of this really, really interesting. Now, I love, I really like Sean Johnson a lot. I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna throw some cold water on that theory though. Uh, and tell me what you think of this because I-, I feel like something similar happened. Um, with Stefan Fry after the Seattle Sounders won the CONCACAF Champions League where all of a sudden his name got involved after he was so brilliant um, and has been in MLS for years. You know, why is he not a part of the picture? Um, here's the thing I wonder about. Like, so I think Bearhalter's sensibility lies with Matt Turner. Well, maybe, Ste- you know what? I don't know. Either Turner or Stefan. Insert whichever name you well, no, prefer. Stefan's his guy. Oh, Stefan's his guy. Okay. After the summer Turner had, Stefan still came back in and, and in, uh, when he wasn't injured was number one in work in, to finish out World Cup qualifying. Yeah. So if it were me, Turner would, I, I like Turner. I'm a Turner guy. I think I'm, I'm planning my flag. He would be my number one. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. We have consistently looked at this idea of Stefan and Turner, not, you know, Turner down the line, once he gets to Arsenal, them not playing regularly as this, as a negative, um, but let's what so, so hear me out it is i i yes. want a goalkeeper who's playing regularly right. i'm talking about perception if if bearhalter loves what he's gotten from turner and then turner goes somewhere where he's not playing in some ways like when stefan got in in the fa cup final and had a disastrous moment it knocks him down a peg if turner's not playing He's kind of frozen in time in Bearhalter's mind as to the player he is. And in all of our minds, what we remember is what we've seen. If he's not playing, that means he hasn't done anything to change our opinion. So I wonder if, if him not playing can so almost the, serve is, as an, in his advantage. This is the theory of the injured guy is always the best player in a defeat. The backup quarterback there, is always the best player, the fans favorite on a team. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I... I agree with actually what you're saying to an extent. Um, we will go into this tournament, I think, with uh, with Bearhalter making a decision on which one of his goalkeepers, Stefan or Turner, will start. Um, which one of those keepers who is not playing will start? That's I I, I, right. I, I firmly believe that. And if, I think so too. I think the question I, is whether or not it, Johnson can leave Horvath. Which I think oh, I could have could definitely happen. I think uh, that 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 could definitely happen. Yeah, definitely happen. I I don't and as much as Horvath contributed last summer too, I think it's I think it's very very likely that uh, um, Bear Halter would not have would not have a huge issue with with bringing Johnson as as um as a as a as a MLS goalkeeper who's playing regularly as a guy he likes as a guy he can trust. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's so it's such a difficult position because you know we get tweets all the time about Stefan before 
really before he was found out against Liverpool a little bit in the FA Cup semi-final. We used to get tweets all the time. It doesn't matter that he's not playing. Look at the players he's playing against in training. Look at who he's coming up against. It, it was Sergio Aguero. It was Riyad Mahrez. It was that, that is just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Games are just completely different. A completely different environment. So I don't, I won't, I'm sure we'll get a tweet like that soon after this podcast, but I, I would ask people to refrain from that. We need our goalkeeper to be playing, but it's going to, it's going to end up that's either Turner or Steph. I, I personally, I want Turner. I've said that all along. Uh, all right, JJ, Joe Scally, come on down. You are the next contestant on. I am a U.S. soccer Twitter lightning rod. He is in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's entirely. I've seen a lot on both sides of this. Um, why? And I. This is. Why are there sides on this? This that was his competitive starting debut. There are sides on this. Are not competitive starting debut. His his starting debut period for the U.S. Right. He came on as a sub against Morocco. He starts against Uruguay. He's playing possibly out of position. Although I've been told he can play either left or right. Mm-hmm. Um. He didn't have a great game in any kind of sense of no, anything. It, it wasn't did. good. It but wasn't he's 19 good. as well. That's another factor as well. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Like, if remember, I, I don't know if you ever in your journalistic upbringing, I certainly did a lot of it where you'd be asked by the editor, the sports editor to do the player ratings. That was your thing. Player ratings, like a sentence on each player very, very quickly on a little side panel on, on, on the page, on the match report. Okay. Have you done them? No, never. I used to do them. And with a guy like this, you'd look, if it was his debut, uh, his first start, you'd be like, um, lots of talent, um, as we know from the Bundesliga, shaky debut, but surely more to come from the 19-year-old. And it would end there. Like, why? Look at this. So, uh, Max Bretos, who should know better, but Joe Scally is going to have to wait for 2026. Yeah, he might. But it's his debut, right? Tactical manager on the other side of things. It's one start for Joe Scally, and we have people giving up on the kid. FFS. I guess you need to be an MLS veteran to get seven lives. And then a guy, Matt Skinner. I, by the way, I just put this into a Twitter search. Joe Scally has looked like trash and all you clowns were going nuts over Triple G not calling him in before. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the densest of the, of the three takes I've read out there. Matt Skinner, whoever you are, that is particularly thick. You know, it's one game. He's playing at a high level. Of course, people wanted to call him in. But I, like losing our collective S over 90 minutes so here's the problem. A 19-year-old is absolutely mental. Correct. Correct. That is correct. Stop, everyone. It's not even about him anymore. That's the problem. And like I said all the time, I love the passion and that like U.S. soccer fans, like it, it is fun sometimes that they do this. I find myself feeling sorry for the player who's at the center of it. But like these debates are fun, but like it can get, it's, it's, like it's not really sensible to suddenly like to talk s to people that way after a night after a teenager plays his first game like it's i saw this tweet from um 
Daniel Smith, 1022. He said, I think a lot of the post-match Scally discourse isn't much about Scally at all, but about passive aggressively sticking it to the perceived Euro snobs who had a fit every world cup qualifying roster. Yeah, I kind of think that's, I sort of think it's not a, it's not even about the player. It's, it's more than that. It's There's about like, our ongoing, our ongoing U S soccer culture war. That's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I guess for Max to tweet what he tweeted is kind of part of that too, because he would be seen as, you know, he's a play by play guy for an MLS team. He would be seen as an MLS Stan or so, you know, him seeing a much vaunted, much talked about, much uh, clamored for young player who's playing in the Bundesliga, not do that well. So he's going to throw out Joe Scali is going to have to wait for 2026. You know, it's just, I hate this infection though. We should be able to talk about it in a bit more of a, you know, a most pe- I think most people do. Yeah, they do. And maybe, maybe, maybe again, going to Twitter is like not exactly the place for rational debate, but I, I don't want to keep talking about Scali because if you've seen him in the Bundesliga, seen the things he can do attacking and defending. Um, he's a very good player. He's the modern, uh, you know, he fits into that mold of the modern fullback that we see now, whose job is much, much more involved uh, than it used to be. And he's 19 and I think he's doing great. I, I can't, I can't summon up the, you know, the, the excitedness one way or the other about a bad performance from a 19 year old. I just, I can't yeah. do it. You know, what's interesting though, about like the, the quote unquote Euro snob angle of this, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the Scally stands were initially upset that it was Shaq Moore included over him. Correct. I don't recall there. There was one, I thought it to was Shaq fair, Moore who was playing in the second division in Spain. So, yeah. so like, how does, is that a Euro snob thing? Or is that just like a, let's bring a guy in. Like, I think us fans have gotten very into building and a 19 year old is more of a, a building player. Like let's bring him in with our other young players and let them all develop together. Whereas Shaq Moore was not necessarily that he's 25 years old. Although I think he was 24 at the time, but regardless, um, Scally was more a part of the future. Um, although Shaq Moore then came in and did very well. So I don't know who knows Max Bretos. He may very well wind up being right. Scally may not be ready. He may be further down the pecking order, um, but it's still worth bringing him in and, and getting him acclimated and finding out what he can this do. Is, yeah. I just, I would prefer to be more based on, you know, Hey, look, 19 year old guy. Isn't it great? The level he's playing at fantastic. He's going to get better. First debut, not great. Move on. Like just the fact that it becomes a thing is yeah. Speaking of becoming a thing, we'll close on this. We're not, we don't need to go too deep. This is like, this almost feels like old news now, but I, I did feel like we had to talk about it. Um, after the Morocco match, Christian Pulisic made comments where he, he did not seem pleased with the, the turnout from American fans. Um, there were more Moroccan fans there than I think whatever he, or really a lot of us probably expected. Well, it was, it was 19,000 over 26,000 state Cedar stadium was, yeah. was, you know, so there was some empty seats. Um, to be honest, JJ, I actually don't, I have takes on a lot of things like this. This is one I don't have like a huge take on. Like, I don't know. I can understand Pulisic's perspective on this. It like this team at home has to play a lot of games 
in front of crowds that are not always predominantly them. I'm sure that that is frustrating. I can understand why in a situation like Cincinnati was, was picked for a reason, like their turnout against the, against Mexico was sensational. And so the guys probably went in, went into this thinking, Oh, like, all right, we're going to get that sort of support again. And it was probably a little jarring to them when that wasn't the case. So like, I get why players on the team will be like, really guys, like I thought here we could count on it, but I guess not by the same perspective. A lot of these players have to realize that in like in American sports culture, we kind of associate the term friendly and exhibition like the or, or preseason match like whatever to american sports fans they're kind of the same thing and so i feel like these guys they can't get offended by this like there are nfl teams that don't sell out preseason games it doesn't mean that those fans don't care about the nfl the nfl is by far the biggest thing in this country so it's just like to, to a lot of american fans they're not they're just not gonna you're not gonna get them to spend if it's 75 bucks a ticket and you want to bring three people, like you're not going to get people to spend over 200 to when you factor in food and parking, almost $300 for what amounts to them as just a preseason game. That doesn't count for anything. And like Pulisic it's, said, Oh, this is, you know, a world cup send off. Thought it would be better. Like maybe to you, this is a world cup send off, but to the rest of us, the world cup isn't for almost another six months. Like we don't, no one really views this as a send-off maybe the diehards do or whatever but so i can under i can also understand why there are fans who are like nah, i'll watch it on tv like i don't need to spend almost 300 bucks to watch this like you know the other thing too i mean i know the the squad was announced but like for a lot of friendlies a lot of fans don't know if they're going to see the best players a lot of times this one they did the u.s played most of their key guys but like that's not guaranteed when you commit to 300 dollars to bring your family to a game, you think you might be seeing a C squad for a friendly. Um, and so I see both sides. I get, and that that's lame. I know, but it's sensible. I understand why players want to play in front of their fans at home. I get that. And I get why fans don't want to shell out 300 bucks for an exhibition. I get that too. That's where I stand. I've, I had fire in my belly over this one last week. I don't have any more. I just don't think you can ask people just look at the median income in the area and then factor in families going to this game and then factor in the time of the game midweek. You're asking people to drop, like you said, a lot of money to go and see a friendly game, a game of absolutely no importance that we're going to forget about very, very quickly. It's a lot of money. I think it's too much. I think ticketing generally has to be looked at in this country. Alexi Lalas fired back at us saying, yeah, well, then you'll have to, the, the U.S. soccer will explain to you how much it's going to cost to bring about equal pay and do all those things. I don't I don't I don't buy that for a second. I think there's you, you employ marketing people, you employ people whose job is to is to find streams of revenue beyond gouging the fans. And I do think that is it's just too much for a ticket. I, I saw someone say they paid 22 pounds sterling for their ticket to Scotland versus Ukraine and probably which probably the biggest international of the year so far. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to rethink this, but whatever solution is uh, U.S. soccer comes up with, they probably won't come up with anything. They'll probably keep their ticket pricing. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't criticize the fans when they just say, I'm not going to, I'm going to sit this one out because it's a bit too much money. Look how much it costs, Andrew, to put a tank of gas 
in your car. Like, think of that. That is one ticket gone. And for every everybody, like I saw so many people get in our mentions, you know, well, oh, I drop that easily. I pay X amount to go and see whoever. Good for you. Yeah. I'm glad you're in that position. But A, you're talking in the singular by the sounds of it. And B, that is not the case for most Americans right now. The amount of Americans who can drop $300 on their family going to see a friendly game in Cincinnati is not as many as you think. That's it. There's nothing else to say. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's towel off. Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. What's going on? Talk to me. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. We'll get to the we'll get we'll we'll get to more of my disgruntlement later. It's oh. it's fine. Look, it, this, we started off the podcast complaining. I don't want to be complaining because this is not like working down a mine or whatever. I just I, I feel a bit jaded. Honestly, I feel a bit jaded right now. I need uh, I need to refresh myself. Wow. This feels the break like is a, coming at a good time. This feels like a real moment that we're all a part of, but we don't know what's going on. It's I'm nervous. I, uh, I'm trembling. All right, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. I'll try to figure out and solve JJ's problems. And, uh, and we got more to do. I guess we'll all just, let's just all contemplate together. We'll more caught offside after this. Oh, back now. Caught offside. Uh, let's see. JJ, I know um, we've got a few things to talk about. Obviously, Wales and Ukraine had their uh, the massive fixtures over the last week or so. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll get to that in a sec. But I know while we're talking, while, while we're in CONCACAF, we'll stay in CONCACAF for a sec. I know you want to talk a little about what's going on with um, the Canadian national team, men's national team, because it's been all, everything has been just like, it's roses like ro- in the garden. Oh, yeah. This is like, they are living in the good old days, but all of a sudden, a little bit of negativity has found its way in. Yeah, what, I'm what reading, is happening? I'm reading from the BBC here. The Canada men's national team went on strike on Sunday, forcing a friendly with Panama to be called off. The team's refusal to play revolves around a dispute with the country's football association, Canada Soccer. The players released a letter accusing Canada Soccer of disrespecting the team in relation to negotiations around World Cup prize money. Among several issues outlined in the letter is a request for an equitable pay structure along with the women's national team that would see see them earn 40% of World Cup prize money. There are conflicting reports about the percentage of World Cup prize money the players have been offered by Canada Soccer. See, that's where it gets a little bit um, muddy because Canada Soccer told TSN its offer was 60% to be split equally between players on the men's and women's teams. This is a quote. To be clear, the men's national team demand for, was for 75 to 100% of the World Cup prize money, Canada Soccer said in a statement. So they're just at this, this point where um, they've got a, a Nations League game with uh, Curaçao on Thursday. And there's no guarantee that this thing's going to be resolved in time. And it just seems to me that they've got this manager, this moment, this collection of players and meanwhile, behind the scenes, it's the same old things that, that trip up a lot of teams. It's the organization, the federation, a lack of communication between the two or a complete schism between the, the wants and needs of the players and, the, and, and, what the, or, and, and what the confederation want to do. So, yeah, it's, I mean, you've, you've got such limited time. You've already missed one friendly. This is a, this is a disaster, really. 
Yeah, it really is. Um, I don't know how much longer they'll let this drag on. I would think that this I, will come can't. to a head soon. They can't because time is running out. Games need to happen. Players have reported for duty. Um, the, the player said this, Canada soccer has disrespected our team and jeopardized our efforts to raise the standards and effectively advance the game in Canada, which is very strong. We hope Canada soccer will take decisive steps to work with our team so we can be back on the field for our match on June 9th. So we, I guess we got to wait and see on that one, but um, I, uh, I can't believe it. When everything's going your way, I say I can't believe it. This is what happened to the Republic of Ireland in 2002. Not quite the same. It was an internal team dispute. But when things are going your way, when you've qualified for your worst co- wor- first World Cup since 1986, this is stuff that cannot happen and should not happen. Yeah. Yeah, totally uh, unnecessary distractions at a time when they definitely don't need it. Uh, let's see. Wales in, Ukraine out. Uh, this is an interesting one because, I mean, look, we're only human and no offense to Wales, but I, I found it kind of heartbreaking to watch this play out and the faces of these players that, I mean, they, they for a country that's just been put through it in a way that none of us can even really wrap our minds around, I think these players really took the weight of that on their shoulders and felt like they were they were almost solely responsible for bringing some sort of positivity, some sort of shining light to a people that have had none of it for, for a while now. Um, and, and they could have continued that had they made it to a world cup and they could have continued to have the world's attention fixed on what's going on in Ukraine. Um, and so you could just see, I mean, players in tears, it was, it was really sad. Um, it was, it was, it was sad. I'm part of a, a football thread where the majority of people on this WhatsApp thread want the Soonest idea where Ukraine are sent to the World Cup regardless. It keeps the story of Ukraine front and center. And um, it's a good look for FIFA and for UEFA to show that they actually care about these people and it would lift the Ukrainian nation. Now, I'm not for that. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. And I got a that. message from a Ukrainian. Hi, Andrew and JJ. I'm the Ukrainian that messaged you previously during the height of the Super League madness. Different times now. Just want to say, still love and listen to the podcast. I was just writing to rebuff Graham Sunas's comments in case the next pod was to go over World Cup qualifying. That as a Ukraine fan, I'd rather have lost to a good Welsh or Scotland team than be given something undeserved. We are proud about the fact that we aren't the Russian Federation Sporting Committee who tried to cheat the system in any way possible. Cough, cough, Olympics. In other news, my family and I are safely in my second home of Tbilisi. And we're lucky enough to watch Georgia play today, an opponent that Ireland knows a thing or two about. <laughs> Tash, there are a couple of pictures. Thanks and have a good day. So that was the general consensus I got from Ukrainians, that they, they don't want anything handed to them. Now, I wonder how he feels after the Welsh game. Let's go back to football, because I thought over the 180 minutes of the Scotland game and the Welsh game, that Ukraine were by far and away the better team than either of those sides. Certainly now, than I, Scotland. You know, the Welsh the Welsh had a good start that second half, and I think actually the the Welsh were put up a much better showing than uh, than the Scots did in their win. But it was but, a lot of last ditch defending from the Welsh. Oh, well, a, a ton of it. But but equally, Andrew, if Aaron Ramsey had had scored after Kiefer Moore squared to him, that really good Nico Williams, Dan James, Kiefer Moore cut back Ramsey just with the worst finish, like he is in a wretched place as a player. <laughs> just, he's got no confidence left. 
should have buried it. And that would have been 2-0 and maybe we're talking differently. But I thought Ukraine, and I'm not the only one. I can't remember who tweeted it, but I don't think it really matters. I think it's a good result for us. Not that I'm saying the Welsh game will be easy. It will not be. The Welsh are a very good side. But I think, I think it's better we avoided Ukraine. I thought across the 180 minutes, they were, they were excellent. Also, with regards to Ukraine, as much as I wanted them in, I was also not looking forward to then having to like passionately root against them in, in a World Cup group. Um, that yeah, would have been see, uncomfortable. Yeah, for me, as much as the, the, the sports angle to this and, want, and, and wanting to root, wanting just out of just sheer solidarity with them, wanting them to do well. I understand, you know, we, we go on about sport and it's transformative ability and the way it can do X and Y and raise people up. Like, I just want really a political and a fair, I want the violence to end. Like, yeah. I, I, the, the football to me is just so tangential. And I don't, to be honest with you, whether Ukraine go or not, I don't think it solves anything. So, no, on, on that, no, it wouldn't I, have. I just yeah, mean it, it in the sense that it would have, these people need something positive in their lives. Know, and this could have, this could have in some small way served that purpose for them. However, yeah. however trivial it might seem, it's not trivial to them. It's a sports crazy nation that loves this team. That's so, true. But how, how far have we fallen as a, as a, as a world, as a global society where the best we can do is throw the bone of Andrew, uh, of Yarmolenko scoring a header to raise the hopes of a people who have done nothing wrong and are being pounded by shells day in, day out. That is that is a sad comment. Well, that's not the best we can do. I'm just saying, if you're a Ukrainian, you it would have been a nice thing to have in a, in a time, 100%. in a time when there's not a lot of nice things happening. A hundred percent. But then just to keep it sporting and football wise, mm-hmm. 64 years since the Welsh were at a so World that, Cup. Right. That's the funny part of this is in under any other circumstance, this Wales story would be an incredible one. Um, it ends, like you said, 64 years, 1958. That ends the longest drought between World Cup appearances um, in history. So, like, that's not a small thing. I think um, it's worth pointing out that they have. It's funny, when, when the Republic of Ireland in the 90s were qualifying for, for World Cups and being probably, outside of England, the best team in, the, in that region, uh, Great Britain and obviously Ireland, we looked at the Welsh and thought, they've got really good players. Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, Ryan Giggs, and even their secondary players like, you know, Chris Coleman, they had like solid players, players who could do a job. And apart from, I suppose, qualifying for USA 94 when they, they missed out in her kind of horrific fashion, a home game against Romania where um, a penalty was missed that would have, I mean, effectively sent them through they didn't really come close and they went through a period where, you know, I call it the Robbie Savage, Craig Bellamy, end of Ryan Giggs career era uh-huh. where they had one kind of little uplift. They beat Italy. They, they went to, a, I think it was a playoff um, against Russia and lost out to Russia in the playoff. Um, but apart from that, Andrew, they haven't really come close. They had a lot of kind of a lot of bad years. And um, they've really turned it around and they've qualified for three out of the last four tournaments. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, they're no fluke. Mm -mm. They're no fluke. And I don't know, maybe you think they they're easier opposition in that group. But I I, no, I think just because they're easier does not make them easy. No, I think think what they have is I think think they'll be a real challenge. They've got a good method of playing. They've got good players. They rely on 
they do re- and they did rely on um, a bit of magic from Gareth Bale, who's, I mean, even from the last tournament is just he's not going to be the Gareth Bale we've seen before. Aaron Ramsey, God knows what he's going to be like. Well, but I'll say this: other- Bale will still scare the hell out of me in that matchup. I will be mm. terrified. Yeah, I think so. And you'll want to keep the ball away from him for sure. But I, yeah, I, I just thought over overall, I, I thought Ukraine were country miles ahead of Scotland and I thought they were significantly better than Wales, but the Welsh got it done. So one other, um, one other sort of tangential point on this. Um, I don't know every now and then JJ, you ever find yourself like you kind of, you almost allow yourself to lose your own grip on reality. Like you form an opinion in your head and you just, you don't know like if it's the right opinion, but you're just kind of like, screw it. I'm going all in on this. I'm watching Ben Davies play for Wales. And and I know I talked about him on this podcast near the end of the the season as well, about how well he was playing for Tottenham. I'm seeing this with my eyes. And then at the same time, I'm seeing reports of Tottenham kind of like conducting this desperate search for another center back. And they're prepared to spend a lot. I think Alessandro Bastoni is the player that they've kind of keyed in on that they really seem to want. And, I, and I'm kind of now getting to the point where I'm sort of like, you know what? I'm going in. I'm going all in on Ben Davies. We're good. We're good there. Mm, yeah. we, don't need, we don't need to spend 60 mil on another center back. We're good. We got you're, Ben Davies. Um, I, I, tra- know, I know. I know. I you're, living in a, you're living in 1990s Tottenham head where they, where they would watch a tournament and see like the best Romanian player and then go and sign him. You know, based on the tournament. Here's the thing, though. You don't make signings based on international football, Andrew. No, no, no. But but he's not. But it's not because he's done it for them for this entire season. I just wonder sometimes if a guy can, with a certain manager who puts him in a certain position, like Ben Davies, he wasn't a great center back. He wasn't a great left back. But as a left-sided center back in a back three, maybe that's it. And maybe this manager is the right manager for him. He's 29 now. He's been in this team for a while. Maybe he's like, grown into a leadership position. He's comfortable in this place. I just feel, you know what I've been thinking about is like, like Kieran Trippier left Tottenham and I was like, eh, no, no big deal. And now I kind of watch him like, boy, it'd be great to have him. God, maybe we shouldn't have let that guy go. Like, can I we, feel like it we, could happen again. I feel yeah, like I could, he could go somewhere and be like, oh, he was playing really well. Why did we mess with that? Probably on way your, less wages than whoever they're going to bring in. Can Spend you elsewhere. Can you leave your Tottenham worries outside of our, our international football chat just for once? Just for once. Like if you worked at Dell and like there was some middle manager guy there and he was good at his job, but you just sort of saw him as that. And you're like, yeah, he's not more than that. And then he told you one day, I quit. Uh, I'm leaving. He said, all right, go find something better. And then like a couple months down the line, you find out, oh, Apple hired him. Oh, he's what are they thinking? He'll never advance there. And then he's risen and he's risen above you. And you're like, oh, boy. Maybe we got that one wrong. I feel like that could happen here. Just my thought on it. I know it might be a crazy opinion. I might in two years be like, remember when I wanted Ben Davies instead of Alessandro Bastoni when he's like tearing it up in the Champions League? Yeah. I might have been crazy. But today, this is how I feel. They, these are valuable minutes of you whittering on about your neuroses over Tottenham that have been wasted. I, all right. I well, then what are, can you finally regale us with all your neuroses that you've apparently like you have some sort of list here, <laughs> like you like you're ta- you're making demands that I somehow have to meet? I mean, well, what what am I walking into here? 
you know, you're not walking into a couple of things. Uh, you really aren't walking into anything. Um, uh, we should know Belgium got absolutely battered by Holland. Uh, Martinez, uh, Roberto Mar Martinez said, this is what we needed to prepare for the World Cup. It's a hard result, but it's clear what we need to work on. Whereas Jan Vertonghen, it's a very painful defeat. We didn't get off to a bad start, though. We made it through a few times, especially via the left side. Um, but we lacked momentum after Romelu's substitution. The Dutch have had just as tough a season as we have. That shouldn't be an excuse. The physical part is not tonight's shortcoming. So, yeah, 4-1 defeat for, for Belgium. Um, few alarm bells ringing that the, the golden era may have... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe they, they've jumped the shark. Maybe it's over. Wow, but, um, what, a, what a take. No, probably not. But there was certainly, certainly a few concerns and mutterings. Um, yeah, no, let me, let me round it off with, uh, with Reddit. I have, first of all, I have an apology to make. Oh. So, uh, the animals noted, some animals on Reddit noted, I, um, I was complaining about people who were using the, the trouble at the Champions League final. They, I say the trouble, there wasn't any, tr not trouble, the terrible, the, the, Basically, what happened to Liverpool supporters as a reason to say, instead of being showing solidarity across for all football fans, oh, you know, those those scousers again, you know, making comments like that. Typical. There was the, the classic was there was no trouble at the Real Madrid end, which we subsequently found out that there was. And what I said was, I said I don't need to hear to hear from some guy in the Midwest tell me what was going on in Paris, or, and I shouldn't have said that because. It, it wasn't about the Midwest or anywhere else. It was about supporters like weaponizing the plight of other supporters to make some kind of like tribal point, you know, oh, look, Liverpool, typical copite behavior or whatever you want to call it. And right. I just thought that could, I just, I didn't state it clearly enough. I should, it could have been someone from Los Angeles, someone from China, someone from Johannesburg. It didn't matter. The fact was people from afar were making comments about something that was, could easily have happened to any one of their, if it was Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham, any of those fan bases could have been Liverpool in that situation on, uh, on the night of the Champions League final. But I apologize for name checking the Midwest. And then some, someone on Twitter said, doesn't know anything about the history of, of Midwest soccer or, you know, just an ignorant comment. Yeah, I shouldn't have said the Midwest. Yeah, it was ignorant. But I just wanted to state, I spent, I think it was two weeks doing a preseason camp in Hobstadt, Indiana, like 10 years ago. And it was absolutely amazing. The people were lovely. And talk about being clued in on their soccer. They 100% are. So I just wanted to apologize to the people of the Midwest. I did wow. not mean... I did not mean to do the usual coastal elitist thing that the people in the middle know nothing and everybody on the outsides are wise and smart. That is not what I was doing because that's certainly not the case. That's one thing. Second thing. So someone, uh, you mentioned Ted Lasso. So someone uh, brought up on the, on the animals thread on Reddit about uh, why I didn't like Ted Lasso. And it's just... It's unbelievable to me. I know we say things on the podcast, Andrew, but I often, I often leave and I just feel like, you know, I hope that people take them in like for what they were and that they don't always listen to what you say. Oh God. So I, I read, I read the thread and I think JJ didn't like it because <laughs> he was being a proper football man and he, he, he didn't see the football he liked in, in the show. No. 
I did okay, not. I have never said that. No, what you said was uh, everybody likes it, so JJ will go against it, which is totally unfair too. That is not true. Usually what I do when, it, when there's a show that everyone likes, I wait a bit till the hubbub is calmed down and then I go and watch it. I did it with The Sopranos. I did it with Breaking Bad, two of my favorite shows right now. So I left it a little bit during lockdown to watch Ted Lasso. And the key thing for me was I didn't laugh at all. I didn't find it funny, which I think was the whole point of the show. And I saw a lot of what, like you could see the jokes coming. And that's why I didn't like it. That's the only reason. If you like it, good, fine. But I couldn't. And, and I suppose I couldn't believe that I was in the minority so much. Right. Now, someone said, oh, he watched like one episode. No, I didn't. I watched seven. And I think seven is a good place to tap out. I will not be watching season three. I would also like that when Andrew says something about me on the podcast, oh, that's you just being a hipster or whatever. Don't just parrot it back to me on Reddit. It's not true. Andrew First just of all, says this, that. these attacks on me, I will not stand for. How many well, times you have you come on here and told the people Andrew hates lower league football? No, I you don't. Do. Yes, no, I do. don't. Andrew has no time for the championship. That's not true. That's not true. Andrew has no use for relegation or promotion in, in American soccer. Not true. No, How let me, dare you? I will not sit here and take these, these missiles from you. No, I, I, I won't. I will pull you up on one of those things. I wanted, I remember there was a period, oh, it's a few years ago now, where I seemed every week to have something on like lower league soccer that I was watching. And you said to me off air, do you really want to talk about this? I mean, who cares? Uh, first of all, that's, I don't remember this. I'd be surprised if I said that, but I'll stand by this. I'll stand by this in that if we're going to do a podcast on soccer, I do think it's like, we're going to, we got to talk about the things that the majority of people want to hear about. And I think people are probably more interested in hearing our thoughts on the Premier League champions league and internationals than if we did a segment like that every single week, there's a place for it, of course. But if you want that every single week, I don't know if that's what everyone wants. Yep, maybe you're right. Anyway, those are the things I, I wanted to get off my chest. I don't hate the Midwest. <laughs> and, if you like Ted La- <laughs> and if you like Ted Lasso, good for you. You have all just been witness to um, an unfair attack. I don't know what this means for the future of the show, quite frankly. <laughs> Could really go in any number of directions. I, I have I felt lately that Andrew says something, right? JJ's a snob, JJ's a hipster, JJ, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just see it parroted back to me either on Twitter or Reddit. I'm like, this isn't fair. Look, what my minions want to do is of no concern to you, okay? Right. Leave my minions alone. Your minions. Your gundalites. Um, let's see. Before we, uh, I, I was going to ask for your thoughts on Ted Lasso ending after season three, but whatever. No, we don't um, it, um, it's widely popular. That's the one thing. Here's an American show that's going to do three seasons. That's weird, right? When something's wildly popular, usually it's absolutely you wring the life out of it. Uh, yeah, I would say that's true. I'm trying to think of things that buck that trend like Arrested Development did, but that was not by their choice. And then, in fact, it was revitalized years later because of its DVD sales. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. Normally, it's like a, you got to go at least five. Yeah, but yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe they want to go out on top. Maybe they want to do different things. Maybe a movie. Who knows, JJ? Oh, God. Um, final thing that I wanted to bring up. This is sort of a random one, um, but I, I saw that uh, 
so Zidane headbutting Materazzi has been immortalized as a statue, a giant statue. And it's Where? going to be featured in Qatar at the World Cup. Now, it was actually initially erected in 2013, but public backlash caused it to come down. People thought it was kind of promoting idolatry and, and violence. Um, but now it's back. It's sorry, going to sorry, be- sorry, 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 sorry. Where was it going to go up originally? In, it was in Qatar. And this, yeah. and one of the reasons it was promoting idolatry. Yeah, I don't idol worship or and and also violence. Of him That's a law button. there. I don't know if it's law. It was just public backlash. I think people people weren't happy about it. There's a conservative religious element, of course, in that country. Okay, that yeah, I think no, was, it was. It just sounded so odd. It's that's like such a biblical phrase. Well, yeah, I think it's a very religious country. Hmm. At any rate, although, yeah, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I read. For God's sake, all right, stop questioning I'm me. Sorry, um, <laughs> it's not even the point. The fact <laughs> is, it's coming back, and um, I just found it interesting. Like you don't see many statues of moments like this. Like it's an iconic moment. It's a shocking moment. Like it's a, definitely a moment in soccer that we'll all never forget having seen. But I can't think, JJ, of many statues that immortalize something, unless you're an Italian fan, I guess. Although even that, I don't know how they feel about it. But like this is a kind of a dark moment in soccer history. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a strange one for me. Right. Like most statues are like, you know, Maradona holding up a, a World Cup trophy or something like that. Like this is or, a, this is a really interesting one. Or Tony Cruz outside of Manchester City Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, um, t- Tony Cruz, uh, Manchester City, that whole connection. Um, yeah, I was trying yeah. to think of other of other dark moments that could be we can now immortalize in bronze. Um, yeah, but they're usually like the dark moments are usually, you know, they're like war statues or things of that nature. They're not like sporting. They're not like um, Michael Owen's hamstring going against Leeds United. Like, so you think time. it should be immortalized in a statue of him grabbing the back of his leg? Well, I don't think it should. But I mean, if we're going to go down this dark, dark road. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to think on it of other of other terrible moments. Maybe we need one of um, like Omar Gonzalez knocking in an own goal against Trinidad. Maybe that should be planted right outside of uh, U.S. soccer headquarters or not. Horrible idea. I mean, that's what we're talking about, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I just found it weird that like that Zidane headbutt would be turned into a statue to like hey, I, to be immortalized. I have Omar Gonzalez in my mind now. So he's looking one way. His foot is slicing the ball and the ball's going behind him. Yeah, we, we all remember it. To- We'd have to find a way to suspend the ball, I guess. Yeah, that would be, it could just be, could take the snapshot of when it was actually making contact with his leg. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not happening. It's a horrible idea. And I thought this was kind of a weird idea as well. That about wraps it up. Um, I should say we'll actually have a, a special bonus podcast later in the week. Um, it's like a, a special, kind of a different, different sort of pod than what we may normally do, but it's going to be taking a very early, admittedly premature look at the world cup, but we're going to kind of give you like almost like a cliff notes crash course uh, to sort of get you ready as, as more internationals are happening. And as we start to go into, you know, dive into real world cup prep mode, it'll kind of be like your initial dipping your toe in the water. So we'll have that a little bit later this week. I think um, casual fans, diehard fans alike, I think we'll both enjoy it. So keep your eyes open for that. Should be fun. You got anything else? No, any other gripes that you would like to air publicly? No, the airing of the grievances has ended. It's not even Festivus, and already he's celebrating in his own way. 
Well, this was fun. I've enjoyed these last couple U.S. games. We've got a couple more to come over the next week and a half or so. Like I said, look for the special bonus pod later this week. JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 